Hi there, and welcome to Chimp Chat, a podcast aimed at helping you get the very best from your MailChimp account, brought to you by those clever chimps at Chimp Answers, a MailChimp Pro partner. MailChimp email marketing is just what we do. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's Chimp Chats where every week we give you the lowdown on how to get the most from your email marketing and of course MailChimp. Along with updating you on anything going on in the email marketing world that we think that's going to be worthwhile for you to pay attention to. My name is Romy Adams. I'm the owner of Chimp Answers. We're a specialist MailChimp marketing agency and today I'm joined again by our resident MailChimp maestro, the delightful Vicky Glass. How are you going Vicky? Having a good week? It's been okay so far. Just um, had some had a break at Legoland. I say break. Had some fun times, and now I'm very tired. Excellent. Right, let's get into it and focus in on our question of the week. And this week we're going to be talking. It's not really a specific question as much, but we're going to be focusing on some of to some of the rules and legalities of email marketing, and and specifically as well Mailchimp as well. So you know we're going to be talking about GDPR, privacy how MailChimp works, which does have a relationship and impact. Uh, and then uh, I'll leave this as a, as, a, as a teaser for later on. Why all of this doesn't actually matter when it comes to your email marketing. So we'll, we'll cover that. So, so first of all, obviously what I need to do is make sure that you all appreciate that neither myself or Vicky are trained legal professionals. Um, and as a consequence, uh, we're not here giving you what I would suggest is legal advice. This is our opinions are based on what we see going on out in the world, uh, the way that we work with some of our clients. Uh, and, you know, obviously we need to be aware of what's going on in the world when it comes to privacy and bits nice. and pieces. Um, but I'm not suggesting that what we're going to be talking about today is 100% perfect. Uh, we're still learning just as much as anyone else is out there. So please take everything we say, not necessarily a pinch of salt, because I'd like to believe that we've got one or two things that we know about. But certainly uh, take that all into account in terms of, uh, you know, kind of like what we do. So now that we've got that little bit of legal disclaimer out of the way, I think it's fair to say that email marketing has changed quite a lot over the past few years. Certainly become a, a, a lot more challenging. I think, you know, you probably agree with me, Vicky, you know, five years ago, email marketing wasn't it was easy, but there was a lot less barriers, weren't there? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, I always kind of like say that it wasn't like the email marketing was like the wild, wild west where everyone was doing <laughs> everything that they just wanted, as it were. But you could perform on a website without kind of like having to really think about it and capture emails. You didn't need to necessarily worry about permission or approval. And certainly cold email, email marketing, i.e. you had no existing relationship before you actually sent an email, was seen by many as an effective marketing tool. Nowadays, it's not so easy. GDPR came into force in Europe two, two and a half years ago now it was, and we've seen privacy regulations with regards to email marketing being put in place by governments all around the world. And it's all about trying to make sure that email marketers are doing better. Uh, and we are. And, you know, and remember all of this as well, we're not just necessarily, when we talk about legal stuff, there is, there is a continuous issue of spam. And this is directly intertwined with the whole area of email marketing, because generally speaking, 80 to, I think it's 80 to 85 percent of emails are, that are sent over the Internet are classed as spam. And obviously, if there's that larger proportion of spam, it's making it obviously harder for us to succeed before you even add in the layers of rules and regulation. 
And this is why email marketing providers like MailChimp are working really hard to keep, keep things clean. Now, it's obviously from a legal point of view, they've obviously got obligations from that side of things. But you've also got to remember that they're doing this to protect themselves and their own reputation. And then when it comes to rules in email marketing, kind of like the first thing you need to remember is that it's not just the legalities of what you can and can't do. It's the terms and conditions that the email service providers that we all use, like MailChimp, put on us when we're using it to do email marketing. And just because technically there could be a loophole in legislation, so to where you can add people's names and email addresses to MailChimp uh, and wherever, and it's not going to, uh, you know, the, you're, you're not going to worry from a legal point of view, doesn't mean that it's okay to do it from the email marketing system point of view. And the reason being, and this is something that has come up recently in a couple of blog posts, a couple of uh, discussions we've had in the face group, Vicky, I know you've seen there as well. And also I had a conversation with someone literally this week about it. And the whole thing is that MailChimp is a permission-based email marketing system. So when we talk about permission-based, Vicky, what, what does that mean? How does that translate to the average Joe who wants to do some email marketing for their business? Essentially, um, it's about getting consent to send emails to people. That's essentially it. So, you know, you've, you, you have permission. You've explicitly asked them, can I email you? And they've said, yes, you can. Here's my email address. Um, it's not about you, you know, going out and buying a list because if you buy a list from somewhere, you don't, they haven't opted in to get email, emails from you. They've just, um, they've opted in to get email from whoever, whoever put that list um together in the first place but that's not you so that's not really permission based and if you go into you know you, you get emails on public websites so if you go into a council website or a government website you will see people's email addresses there you can see who the director is and so on and so forth um, you getting that email address from there to email them again is not permission based because they haven't explicitly said here you go have my email I want to hear from you. I want to get emails from you. You've just gone on their website and scraped and scraped their email off their website. That is not getting permission from them. That's not getting consent. Also, if you've got another business, for example, or you've bought you've bought a business for, or you have other um, branches. So if you're you know a pet shop and you have your feet in a barber's shop, for example, and they've got an email list going, you then borrowing the email list or sending an email to their list without getting permission from the people on there again it's not it's not getting consent it's not permission based so you can't use mailchimp for those sort of things you can only use mailchimp if you've got consent explicit consent to email people and they have given you their email address it's really really yeah. really good and you gave some specific examples of and we're yeah. talking a little bit later give some examples of yeah. how you'd approach that situation but that's the thing here a lot of people, when they approach email marketing, they're immediately focusing on the, am I being legal? Where in actual facts, you've got to first of all work out whether the tool you're using, in other words, MailChimp in our case, whether you're actually being, you know, kind of like above board with them. Because in a lot of instances, mm -hmm. the email marketing tool and their terms of service are actually going to be, you know, even tighter than maybe the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the legal side of things. I mean, I'll give you give an example of B2B data. I was having this conversation with a client recently. Within the UK and Europe, um, I believe there's, I call it a legal loophole. Whether you call it a loophole or not, I don't know. But basically, it means that certainly if you're in the B2B world, you can still mm -hmm. contact people with cold emails. So you can get their information, scrape websites, buy data, and you can do that. 
But just because you can do that doesn't mean that MailChimp lets you do it. Because as we've said, and Vicky articulately put there, MailChimp is permission-based. Okay, so even though you may be legally allowed to do it, MailChimp, nah, not so much. Now, of course, there is an issue here in the fact that, well, hang on a minute. I've got all these email addresses and I put them into MailChimp and I've got them, so I've bought a list. How does MailChimp actually know that I've bought these email addresses or hasn't gone through the approval process? All right, you know, you can go in, you upload the data, and then MailChimp says, have you got permission? And you just tick the box as if to say, yes, you have, even though you may not have. Well, how will MailChimp know? You know, it's not like they've got people scanning every single upload that you do. But in actual fact, they have got something, and it's not necessarily individuals. It's a tool that they've developed called Omnivore. So... Do you want to just, Vicky, give an insight into kind of like what Omnivore is and uh, and how it you know potentially works and how that impacts people uploading data? Yes, definitely. It's one of those things that people don't realise is there and um, it catches people out unexpectedly. It's an abuse prevention system. So it's something that much have come up with that automatically scans your list when you upload a, a list for a big list, for example. It could be a little list, but usually a big list. It will scan it and try and find email addresses on there that could, pot could potentially be spam or emails that are found um, in other lists. Um, so any email that looks not quite right, then they'll catch that and then flag your list and tell you, 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 you need to tell us if you've got consent or you need to you know verify things on this list just come just come and speak to us and tell us where you got this list from so it's just an automatic system that scans the list that you've just uploaded to um, find if there are any potential flags there is something called spam traps which most people may not know about where there are email addresses put there just if you do upload that list then uh, email systems will know that that's meant that's a spam list or you've bought that list from somewhere and then that's what gets flagged by most email providers like MailChimp to go mm, this list is probably not quite right so that's what they do and then when they flag it you then get a note in your account probably an email as well and then you go in and verify your data with MailChimp and it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing if they do that it just means that there may be some data on your list that you need to speak to MailChimp about. Yeah, that's yeah. a really important point that they, that just because you MailChimp says, oh, we're not sure about this email address, doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. OK, it's just MailChimp being overly protective because obviously what MailChimp wants to do, MailChimp does one thing. I keep saying this to people and they, they kind of like forget. So I'll repeat it. MailChimp does one thing. It sends emails into people's inboxes. Anything that stops MailChimp from doing that successfully is almost kind of like cutting at the heart of its entire business. So it's going to be protecting itself. And one of the things that spammers do is they send emails to every email box and under the sun. And, and as a consequence, when those email bounce backs, it makes it harder for MailChimp to get their emails into someone's inbox. So if it looks at the data that you've loaded and starts going, hmm, not so sure about this, it looks mm. at the email addresses. And if some of them are, as Vicky said, spam trap email addresses or their email addresses that just don't exist anymore, MailChimp mm. will be like, hmm, we might want to do a bit more checking on this. And as a consequence, what they'll do is I, I, they'll, they'll put you what I call into MailChimp jail. Now, it doesn't mean to say that you're there permanently. You just need to demonstrate and go back to MailChimp and say, actually, you know what? I have got all of this permission base, as it were. And what I try to say to people is the fact is that if you upload a load of email addresses, there's probably a good a chance as any that MailChimp won't know, even with Omnivore, 
whether those email addresses are good or bad and you've got permission. But if you're not careful, it may come out and they may put you in jail. And if you're in jail and you can't get out, then you've lost everything. So the key question, first of all, is are you actually prepared to risk it? And that's down to you as a business decision if you want to go down that route. The reason we're bringing this into this whole discussion of GDPR and privacy is that in some instances, MailChimp is actually a bigger hurdle to get over than some of these privacy and GDPR in it kind of like issues that you've got. So we, we felt that it was right to bring this into this equation. So even before you look at whole issues of consent and legitimate interest and other stuff like that, we want to make sure that we touched off. The first thing you got to do is make sure that you can actually use the tool, can use MailChimp to do your email marketing effectively. All right. So I think we've covered the MailChimp side of things now. So let's mm -hmm. kind of like jump over, assuming that you are being above board uh, and look at the legal side of things. Look at the whole issue of GDPR and privacy mm -hmm. and specifically who you can email. Now, we're not just reference to GDPR. GDPR is this big thing. We're focusing on a very specific thing about email marketing permission. We're not talking about right to forget. We're not talking about anything else, how you store that data, bits and pieces. This is just who can you send emails to. Now, first of all, obviously, we need to state we're based in the UK. And there are lots of local laws out there impounding emailers wherever you are. Uh, I know there's specific rules in Canada uh, and in Germany. Uh, Australia from having spoken to one or two people that we work with in Australia slightly not as worried about it but they are working mm -hmm. on it at the moment um, so what we'll do just uh, we'll, we use GDPR which is the European law with regards to the data protection as a kind of like a general guideline but we're not going to get deep into the, the weeds as it were so we're going to focus on is email marketing and according to GDPR there are two specific justifications that you can have for sending someone a marketing email those two justifications, actually there are six, but there's only two that really work for email marketing. One is consent and one is legitimate interest. So Vicky, can you kind of like go into what consent is and then we'll start talking together a little bit about how that actually impacts us as email marketers? Yes, happy to. For when it comes to consent, it's usually someone has explicitly said, yes, you can have my email address for the purpose you've stated on your form. And that's informed. So you've told them what you're going to use the email address for and they've handed that over willingly. That is what consent is really, it's really all about. Um, obviously, you might get stuff where you might get examples where people just go, subscribe to my newsletter. Here's a box, put in your email address. That's explicit. You know what you're doing there. You might get other ones where people go, to get this freebie, you need to sign up here. And then they'll put a little note to say, and you'll be added to my newsletter again that is still informed it's not i guess it's not as explicit as just making people say i'm subscribing to your email list to get this free it's merged together but but they're informed so that's an informed choice there and they can choose not to um, um so not to sign up to that um so that's that's all about co um consent really in terms of mailchimp they have this option called um GDPR tracking so you can turn that on on your account and then it will add in these fields for you on your form these fields they're usually quite big if you've turned it on before you would have noticed it on your landing page yeah, it's like they take up three, a lot of space don't they yeah a whole column row three rows of information you can obviously customize that to an extent and then you get to have the options where if 
asking people whether you want to contact them by email, by phone, and any other option you might have on there. So you don't necessarily need that because all you need to know, all you need to get from the person is an explicit consent to say yes, um, they're happy for you to contact them by email. So you could just use a group or any other form that you want, any other field that you want to add onto your um, form without having to add turn this on to add this big gump, which essentially just does the same thing of saying, yes, this person said you can contact me by email. You could do that in any other way. So you don't need that on the form. But what you do need is a, a clear statement to say that, yes, they're going to be added to your newsletter if they sign up for this form. If they click that button, they'll be added. That you need to have clearly. Whether you have that as a checkbox with a tick explicitly or as a big note to say there, you need to have that to make sure that you've got, you've got consent from them. Definitely. Yeah. I, that's one of the key things that, you know, when we speak to people and we talk about forms on websites, it's that the need to make sure people understand what they're signing up for, that this idea of informed consent. So, yeah, MailChimp brought out their GDPR toolkit, as it were, a couple of years ago when mm -hmm. GDPR happened. But what, re what we realized very quickly was that you didn't necessarily need it. Now, there is an element which is kind of like the whole area of tracked consent. So you do need to know when someone signed up to your list and how they signed up, which is one of the reasons when we talk to people about creating forms on a website, we actually want to make sure that we know which form someone filled in. Mm -hmm. Because if we know which form they've filled in, that we kind of like we've got an element of tracking there. Obviously, MailChimp also tracks the date that they signed up as well. So if someone emails you back and says, hang on a minute, how did you get, get my email address or whatever? Mm -hmm. You can go back and say, well, actually, you signed up on this form on this particular date. Now, generally speaking, if they're going to come back and complain about stuff, then they might as well just unsubscribe. But obviously, every email that MailChimp says has a MailChimp unsubscribe link in it. But the fact of the matter is that as long as you're clear and transparent with how people got onto your list and they know, then you're probably going to be on the good side. And obviously, with regards to MailChimp's GDPR thing, um, they've got their, their, these are the boxes. You can add the option for tracking for email then tracking for phone, and then tracking for direct mail. Now, there's a part of me goes, if you're not using phone or direct mail, then it's almost, you don't need, you definitely don't need to use MailChimp's GDPR forms because why are you asking them so you're being clear in the box that says, hey, join my newsletter. This is what we're going to send. Put your email address in. And then underneath it says, tick this box to give us permission to communicate you via email marketing but you're already doing that in the form. Now, obviously, if you do decide that you want to use phone or direct mail, then you do need to get specific permission to communicate on those side of things. But just, it's all about being transparent. And we'll come in a little bit about how that actually, if you ignore GDPR and, uh, and all the other privacy bits and pieces, why actually, you know what? That's not a bad thing. Okay, so that's consent. Now, the other element of justification you could use is something called legitimate interest. Now, when GPR came out, I, I saw legitimate interest as, as, as the get out of jail free card for all the legislators <laughs> or whatever. It was like yes. the loophole that you could everyone use. And there's like, if you speak to a lot of lawyers and solicitors, they'll give their views of what legitimate interest did. But yes. from a marketing point of view, I think the thing you've got to do is it's all about, is this reasonable? Would it be fair for you to do that? So let's get an example. So obviously, everyone on our list here at Chimpanzas, you're on it because you're interested in email marketing. Now, it's perfectly reasonable for me to add customers to my email list. So those these are customers that we've worked with on a one-to-one -one basis who may not be on that list. 
But because they are customers, they're interested in email marketing, it's reasonable for us to be able to do that. Now, they may not have given direct permission, but the fact of the matter is it's reasonable for them to be added to the list. However, if I started sending emails about garden furniture to those people, that's not reasonable. That's not what's a legitimate interest. And that's the key thing you remember. Is it reasonable and fair? All right. So there you go. You've got consent and legitimate interest. And Bob, you know, the whole issue regards to B2B, there are a couple of loopholes that allows you to communicate. We've touched on those previously. That's it. There is no legal obligation for you using double opt-in as part of GDPR. Now, there are other countries out there that do require it. So obviously, make sure that you know the requirements. I think Canada requires double opt-in, as it were. But there's no yeah. reason you need to use that. There's no need for you to add the direct mail or the telephone tick boxes from MailChimp's GDPR if you're not using the data for that purpose. Yeah, But you do need a good privacy policy, which explains how you're going to use the data. And it needs to be closely accessible to any sign-up form, not hidden away in the background of the website. So we always recommend if you've got any sign-up form on your website, there should be a little bit of disclaimer text underneath, which is something along the lines of when you sign up, you'll be added to our mail list. If you want to see how we're going to use your data, click here to read our privacy policy. That's a good practice, as it were. All right. So I'm going to draw a line now under the legal things. OK, and I'm going to come back to the thing I said at the start, which is when it comes down to it, you probably don't need to be worrying about the legal side of things. And you almost need to don't worry about MailChimp side of things. And I know it sounds strange because we've just spent the last 10, 15 minutes talking about this. <laughs> but in real terms, they don't matter. Because in my mind, ethical and permission-based marketing is what you should be looking to do anyway. The fact of the matter is you shouldn't be sending emails to people you don't know. Not because it's legally not the right thing to do, because it's not good marketing. You know, you shouldn't be using a sign-up form and then sending emails to people with no reference to that sign-up form because it's not good marketing. The fact of the matter is that if you approach your marketing ethically and with good practice, you're already adhering to the law in MailChimp's terms of service. Permission is something you want, not because it's legally required, so I get very onto my soapbox here. It's one of the things I get very passionate passionate about. But it's, you know, it's, you know, you want people to open emails. If they know an email's coming because they've given you permission, they're going to more likely to open it. You know, Definitely. when you've told people on the sign-up form, this is what we're going to do with your data, they're going to expect an email. When it comes through, they'll know what it's about, which means they're more likely to open it. You don't even need to worry about the law or MailChimp because you'll already be doing good. I, I guess you're in the same mindset, Vicky. I am. It has been a turning point when GDPR became more of a thing and ICO came in in terms um, from the UK side of things and people were just panicking, going, oh, I need to delete my list and start again. That was actually good. Although it did generate a lot of emails of people going, you are on my list because of this. It's like, oh, I didn't know what to do on that list. Was I really? Um, but it sort of made people more aware of this of this thing that you need to get consent. And it's just, it's yeah, it's an amazing thing. And people just get worried that, oh, they, they, they can't build an email list because they haven't got consent from people and they just want to go and buy an email list because it's easier. But the risk of buying a list, I mean, that you could be marked as spam. This, the risk is just too great for you to um, go down that route. Just ask people. Some people will say, yes, it's not 
a surprising thing. People do say yes to hear from you, but yes. Uh, it's it's yeah. It, it, it's it's just you, you want. I always say, you know, kind of like treat people the way that you expect to be treated. You know, yes. I would not expect someone to just add me to their email list and start sending me communication. Yeah. If I hadn't spoken to this business for four years and then I started getting a regular, I mean, one of the, the uh, this is this is a personal example. I got married about four years ago, and uh, say about four years ago. If my oh, wife hears oh. this, it wasn't four years ago. It's exactly four years <laughs> and uh, three months, whatever. But um, I had a suit. I had a suit from Mossbrus in the UK, and at the time, I went through their process and I ticked a box saying thanks very much. Yes. I'm happy to receive email marketing. I always do that because I'm always curious to see what happens. Well, nothing happened. And nothing happened for three years. And then suddenly, out of the blue, I start getting a weekly email saying, have you hired a suit yet? Here's some nice suits. Here's some ties. We've got shirts on special offer and do this. And I'm like going, I've not communicated with you for three years. And the first message that you send to me is buy my stuff. I would say... If you're 40, you haven't got consent. So one, you can't use marketing or any other ESP that doesn't have that's permission based. So you're looking at doing cold email marketing. Now, then from then on, we'll then look at the value of that to them. I mean, um, there are so many technical rules around this in terms of your domain reputation, your brand re um, reputation as well. But the first thing I would say is we can't use Mailchimp for that. Obviously, what they're going and do by themselves is their own problem but in terms of me i would not get involved in doing that in helping them uploading the list or anything into mailchimp because that would just be a red flag agree completely if they pushed yeah. it what i'd probably point them is from a marketing point of view again it's like it's it, the way I, the analogy i use it's like uh, you know back when you know when we were both younger you, you may be slightly more recent history than me um but you'd go out and you'd you'd, you'd go to a bar and you'd meet people and it's like, mm. if you think about it, if you walk into a bar and you know absolutely no one there, you're not going to walk up to every single person and say, hi, hi, do you, you know, how are you doing? What, you'd, you'd think about it. You'd try and look at who you'd build a relationship with and mm. what would you, you know, what could you actually say to those people to break the ice and whatever. Mm. And it's exactly the same with cold email. Don't use cold email as a justification for we've got a relationship because you haven't. Don't use MailChimp and you may want to just send you send people normally email saying, look, I believe that you are the right type of person who might benefit from speaking to me yeah. or, you know, the services that we offer. Let's have a little bit, let, 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 you know, if you, and if you're interested, please come back and we'll continue the conversation. So you basically ease into it as it were. So, yeah, don't use MailChimp. And if you are going to do it, do it very strategically and delicately because if you go in yeah. there with uh, you know a sledgehammer you're gonna probably get more pain than benefit as it were so that's it second instance a business hasn't done any emailing at all and wants to start with their customer database which they've got in a crm system at the moment what would you yeah. say to that business vicky oh this is a great one because it happens quite a lot like in your case where you bought a suit they captured your details and then just left it somewhere hanging around. They haven't done anything. Yeah. And obviously the first thing wasn't to say, buy my stuff. You need to ease into it. You need to you need to then go, right, okay, I've got this database um, somewhere else. I haven't done any emailing. 
I'll now bring them into MailChimp and then start by saying, do you remember me? I'm over here. You did this with me a few years ago, a few months ago, and then introduce yourself again and ease that email in. And then you, there's a lot of strategy behind this, which I probably won't get into. But from then on, you need to then find out who is responding or who isn't and then try and segment those out so that you're emailing only people that are engaging back with your content. But yes, I would say start by just introducing yourself and don't email them all at once, depending on the list as well, because that will probably get you into a bit of trouble if everyone just goes unsubscribe, unsubscribe, unsubscribe. Yeah. So start small, engage, introduce yourself and then go from there. Brilliant. That's exactly how to actually approach these types of things. Um, treat them like you would be expect to be treated yourself. So if there is a mm. people who are customers now, technically, if you look at MailChimp terms of service, you could argue that you don't have necessarily direct permission. But I'd argue that with customers, because you've got an existing relationship, there is implied consent in there. You've, certainly you can use yeah. legitimate interests. So there shouldn't be any issues in terms of using those. All right. But again, don't send, if you upload 1,000 people, don't send all 1,000 an email. Maybe just pick 50 and send yeah. them an email and actually say, well, this is what we're looking to do and test it. Now, if a load of people unsubscribe, then you might want to review things as it were. Yeah. But if if you get positive responses from that, then you can expand to others. But again, don't just go buy my stuff, as Vicky brilliantly <laughs> put there. Say, we've not spoken for a while. We've not done a huge amount of stuff. And for that, you know, we apologize, but we're going to improve our communication. Email is something we're going to be doing on a basis going forward. And get them to actually reconfirm that they're interested. Yeah. And, and this is kind of like exactly the same thing. So, you know, and this is a case that specifically we've had uh, over the last couple of uh, months with one of my clients is a business has a database that's over three years old. So it's in MailChimp. They've just done nothing with it for the last three years. Quite why mm -hmm. they've not done anything, I don't know, because they've obviously been paying MailChimp every month to keep that database there. But they've had it and it's over three years old. What would you do, Vicky? I think this is similar to the one before, where it's from a different place. Yeah. So if you already have the list, that's good. Hopefully you got consent in the first place. So that's amazing. Um, in that case, because it's been three years, you probably don't have a lot of recent data to go with. I will probably go, right, look at your last campaign. Who engaged? was active before you stopped emailing them, if you ever email them, um, and then only email those people first. Again, you're going to start with introducing yourself, asking them whether they still want to be on your list. You don't just blast it and go buy, buy this or buy that. So you start gently. And if you don't have that data, if you just you know got people on your list and then did nothing with, again, start with batches, small batches, like um, Robin said earlier, 50 will do, depending on the size, just start slowly and re-engage them. And you might even want to try something called a re-engagement sequence, where you're looking to also kick out people that are probably never going to be interested. So if they've already bought from you in the past and they don't care anymore, you might use that to then cut down your list and only keep the people that are definitely going to be interested moving forward with you. I have nothing to add. You've done everything there. That's, yeah, exactly. Send them just exactly like the previous one initial email, build that relationship. And obviously, if you can do, do the re-engagement do the, do the re -engagement sequence to giving yeah. people an option to positively say they don't want to receive their emails because that you know, yeah. gives people that option. Right, a couple of other quick ones. A business says, I want to put a form on my website to capture email addresses. What do I need to do? Oh, yes, this one's a good one. So firstly, yeah, you decide on the fields that you want to capture typically you get a first name and email again depending on your business if it's more formal you might want to add last name or company name so do that 
And then obviously then you need to have a way on your form that you can identify where that form is and how people have signed up. So usually in you use tags. So if it's say in your footer and your homepage, you could say, have a tag there that says entry point here was in my, on my website footer, obviously with yeah. shorter words than that. But a way that you can identify that they signed up from your website and then obviously in Mailstream you have the sign up date and all that sort of things, but you need to know how they signed up. Um, yeah, so you just need to have the fields that you're going to capture and a way of identifying them once they sign up. And if you're not using other forms, if you're using Mailchimp form, you use groups for that one. You use groups instead of tags. But yes, that's what I'd say. And then obviously from then on, have an email at the back of it to start talking to them because you don't want to end up in a place where you're not emailing them for three years. Exactly. And in terms of the forms, the two other things that you want to make sure that you do around that form is one, have oh, yes. some explicit text, so if we talked previously, which yeah. explains what you're going to use their data for. So sign up for our newsletter where we'll send you information about blah, 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 blah. Okay. And then secondly, try and close to that form, have a link to your privacy policy. So you're being clear about how you're going to manage those that data. So track through the form. So if you're using a MailChimp embedded form, that's probably going to be done through groups. But if you're using one of these other tools, then usually they give you the option of adding a tag so you can identify when someone sealed the format and then do the other bits and pieces. And then a last example, Vicky, a business comes to you and goes, I've got this bag of business cards that I've collected at networking and I want to start emailing these people. What do you reckon? <sighs> well, I'll probably say, when you got these business cards, did you tell them, thank you for your business card, I will then be emailing you <laughs> from the back of this transaction? Because if not, then they haven't really consent consented to you emailing them. So first of all, I'll probably just treat it as you would um, a face-to-face -face conversation. Take each person, probably individually, I'm hoping you don't have a thousand batch of business cards, and then just email them outside of MailChimp probably. Um, you can still do it in MailChimp. It's legitimate interest. It's a bit of a dodgy area there. But yes, just reach out to them, but don't sell to them because they haven't explicitly said you can email me. They've just given you, the, given you their details. So you need to establish where they want to go from there, whether they just want to be informed about your services from then on or whether they want to hear more about your offers and all the sort of things. So you need to establish from that point what sort of information that um, they want to hear from you after handing over their, their business cards to, um, two weeks ago at an event in a hotel somewhere. So yep. that's what I'll say. What, what do you think? No, I agree completely. It's all about consent and the level of consent yeah. you've got. You know, when I, I used to yeah. do a lot of networking and I get lots of people's business cards, but I never naturally assumed they wanted to be on an email list. You know, yeah. I always said, so the business card was an opportunity to start a conversation. Now, in that conversation, yeah. if they said, I want to be on your email list, or I gave them the opportunity, and obviously mm. I wouldn't just say, do you want to be on my email list? It'd be like, <laughs> well, here's the benefit of being on my email list. Here's why you want to be on my email list. You know, There's nothing stopping you from selling to someone to actually get them onto your yeah. email list. Then, yeah, kind of like that, I'd add them. But if they were interested, and remember as well, if in this instance, a lot of these people they're probably not interested in the services I'm providing. So why would I add someone to my email list who is never going to buy from me in the first place just because yeah. I've got their business card? So, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, there's... And I hope, well, you know, we've gone a little bit into the deep into this, as it were, but I think the key yeah. thing that we want to try and really wrap up and get you guys thinking about when it comes to privacy and other bits and pieces is, yes, you need to be aware of the legal implications in your marketplace. 
And you need to understand the rules of MailChimp in terms of what you can and can't do. But more importantly, if you approach your email marketing uh, and the, the, how you catch people's data and how you use it in a ethical and a good positive manner and you treat people as individuals and you don't make mm -hmm. assumptions or if you do make assumptions they're obvious ones they're not stretches you're going to succeed and it doesn't matter and you don't necessarily need to worry about the the legal and the ethical side as much because you're just being a good email marketer and that's going to get you results anything to add Vicky? vicky oh gosh <laughs> as you were saying a lot of things just popped into my head about one of my biggest pain for well, actually two is when you buy something from a shop an e-commerce shop and they automatically sign you up to your email list it's, and then you just get getting daily offer emails like no i did not consent to this so don't do that <laughs> if whether i know it's, it, it's implied consent because you bought from them but give them the option at checkout to opt in don't just assume don't just add them on and then start emailing them offers daily it's very frustrating and irritating because that will just lead to unsubscribes which is not yeah. something you want you only want people that actually want to be on your list and another thing dissimilar to um, um, co um to contact forms as well which is quite similar to business cards so you have a contact form on your website someone says yes i want to hear about this oh. particular thing and then suddenly you start you, they start getting marketing emails it's like no they they contacted you to get a quote or something not for you to start emailing them so yes even if you're it's not a newsletter email if it's another type of form that's not consent that's just the form is for that other thing that it was for so it was a contact form for a quote that's what it's for it's not for email marketing another one although we've said you know you always have to say explicitly you're going to be added to email list make sure it's also explicit what they're add, being added to email is for so if it's a daily newsletter say that so don't just say oh well you got consent for my um, for my newsletter why you're unsubscribing but i didn't get i didn't give you consent to send me daily emails did i so make sure it's it, if it's going to be something more than weekly or more um, more frequent than weekly or something really not as expected make sure you specify exactly what what it's going to be so that people are not surprised because the last thing you want is to get people on your list that don't want to be there and people hitting that unsubscribe because that's not good for your um for your mailchimp reputation there so you want to give the unsubscribe as low as possible which means getting consent explicitly and saying what you what they're signing up for and i'll jump on my soapbox now <laughs> no, I, I agree completely. I think the, the word that I keep coming back to in terms of being successful with this is transparency. The more yes. transparent Perfect. you are with the people that you're communicating yeah. with, the better the relationship is going to be. And that's yeah. the same with every person, whether it's email marketing, personal relationships or whatever, you know, ignore mm -hmm. chuck, chuck email and marketing out there. The more transparent you are in all of your relationships, the chances are they are going to be much more successful and better. Mm -hmm. And that's very, very true when it comes to email marketing. And I hope yeah, I hope this is giving you a thing because I think a lot of people, they get very scared about the law, obviously, and GDPR yeah. and all these rules and regulations. And am I doing this right or wrong? And I think that the North Star that should be guiding you when it comes to this is just treat you people the way you would want to be treated yourself mm -hmm. be ethical be transparent and those will point you in the right direction and mean that in most instances you don't have to worry about the legal side of things because you are yeah. being a good email marketer and i think that's kind of like the key thing that you need to focus on
So, um, mm. yeah, this, as you can tell, both of us get very passionate about this subject. <laughs> it's something that we see every day. Uh, and and it's the thing that gets us riled up is not necessarily the privacy side of things or the, the legal side of things. It's just people doing bad email marketing. And it's like, you know, that's the key thing that kind of like gets us. When we see someone who's done something bad, we naturally, because we're in the industry, look at it and go, oh, why did they do that? That's not good. That's going to hurt more than give them benefit. So hopefully you, you can forgive us our, our, our passions, as it were, in this area. Right, okay, so we'll now move to our, our usual dip into the Facebook group, the MailChimp Answers Facebook group, and we're going to answer a question that come, came up there. Now, one of the things I noticed was there was probably three or four questions in the last week, which were all on a, a similar theme, actually. So I'm not going to pick on one question, but I'm going to focus on this whole area of testing automations, okay? So this is where you create an automation in MailChimp. It could be a new customer journey. It could be a classic automation or whatever, but you create this automation and you want to make sure that it works. It could be that someone signs up on a form and that form then triggers the, you know, triggers the automation in some way or shape or form. So this is obviously something that comes up quite a lot. We've actually got a number of articles on the website which talk about this. But Vicky, what's the best yeah. way to test an automation? Well, sign up and get an email, see what happens. So the best way um, for me, how I go about it is I create the automation, obviously, and then you sign up with your email address and then you get the email. But obviously, if it's a classic one, then you only get that email once and you can't sign up again with your email address. So you get into a bit of a pickle with that one. Um, but as Robin has pointed out, there'll be an article on this, I think if I put it on the link later, you can simulate different email addresses. So if you ever run into that issue of, you know, you'd only send it to yourself once, then there is this Gmail plus trick, which I think works with other domains as well, not just Gmail. Yeah. And we add a little plus um, number, plus something to your main email address and it will all get rooted to the main one. So if I had a Vicky at chimpanswers.com, I could then do Vicky plus one at chimpanswers.com and then they'll be treated as a separate email address by MailChimp. But in terms of where the email is coming to, it will all come under Vicky at chimpanswers.com. So it could be plus one, plus two, plus three, and so on. They'll all come under the one. So that's how you can simulate having different email addresses. Another thing people like to do is, um, obviously when you're doing all these tests, your count, your, your number of, um, um, number of people getting that email is going up so when you do come to turn it on you've had like 10 people already received your email which will play havoc to your um re uh, to your reporting so what you usually do is you can do that test as much as you want then when it comes to live you just replicate that and turn on the new one just make sure you've set everything up right again so you're not just uh, messing up your set your setup by doing that but then that means you have a fresh start and when you're looking at your numbers you can go ah 20 people got this email that means 20 people signed up not 30 people got this email but 10 of those were me so meh one of the things i and i use that plus or the plus so that what we're talking about here is so if you think of your email so as vicky said vicky at chimpanzas.com so instead of vicky at it'd be vicky then the plus sign and then she yeah. can put whatever she wants after that plus sign and before the at chimpanzas.com. And MailChimp would view those as separate, but they would all go into the same inbox, as it were. So the way that I use that when I'm testing automations is I use date and time. So if I'm running mm -hmm. through an automation, so what I'll do is I'll do Robin plus and then like 1350 at chimpanzas.com. 
And then if I go in and tweak it and then test it again, I'll do Robin plus 1355 at chimpanzers.com. What that means, it allows me to actually see which test actually works the way it should, or is there something wrong that I need to go in and kind of like change as it were. You can use that plus trick for a whole variety of ways of testing it. And because each of those are different email addresses as far as MailChimp concerns, they will go through the system separately, but they'll all appear in your inbox. And I think, you know, it's one of those things where everyone just kind of like wants to test. You obviously want to test an automation before it goes live. So you've got your form. So does it go through from the form to the actual MailChimp account? Does MailChimp trigger the automation? And by doing this, you can use that. And the other tip that I would suggest is break your automation and your sequence down into individual steps and look at each step. So for example, fill the form out. So when you fill the form out, does your data actually appear in MailChimp? If it appears in MailChimp, does it have the right information that you want to trigger the automation? So for example, if you're adding a tag in the background of the form, does it actually have that tag added? Then you can look and see, well, the automation itself is the automation firing based on that information coming in? Or is there something else happening that's causing it not to fire? Have you got a filter on it or something? So break that automation down in individual steps. And by doing that, you'll be able to identify if you've got a problem, where that problem is. Is the problem with the form? Is the problem with the MailChimp automation? Or is it somewhere else? So if you combine that with the the, the, the plus email address hack, I think that's something that would, you know, would certainly be worthwhile yeah. for you to adopt when you're testing your automation. So hopefully all of those people in the Facebook group, and we'll see this again and again, it's a question that comes up all the time. If you do those two things, break down your process and then use the Gmail plus hack or, like I said, the any email plus hack, that's a great way of testing. Brilliant. Right. Okay. So before we disappear off into the uh, ether of the internet, uh, let's just focus in on anything that's picked that you've picked up uh, this week, Vicky, that you feel be worthwhile sharing with other people. I think last week I mentioned AI, and this is sort of on yeah. the same theme, and I wasn't actually looking for it. Um, I, I'm quite intrigued by by gamification, and that is where you reward your customers or your audience by doing little bits of things. It could be sending them a badge or a or a certificate or just something that gives that winning feeling and gets them in, interacting with your brand. And I just got, I got an email to them last week um, about this and it had it as a summary and it's about putting that into email. And I thought that's interesting because we sort of do it, but we don't realize we are. So when you do a survey in your email, that could lead to a reward for them. You could offer them an incentive to fill in the survey. You could do clever things like putting a GIF in your email, like a spin to win or something like that, where the GIF just plays around and they click into it and then you can give them a, a voucher at the end or something that they've won on your website or something. So it's like trying to, you know, bring that interaction and that gamification and that um, reward back into email and making it a bit more interactive. So yes, that's well oh, really that's, this week. that's love. I mean, I, I've, I've, it's not it's something that in the past I've seen one or two do, but I've never seen any yeah. detail on it. So I'll actually go and actually have a look at that myself because I think that's something that everyone can adopt. Because by adopting gamification into any of your marketing activity, you're more likely to get some form of positive result. The click. Yeah. Uh, a, a, a follow through, whatever it is. I think that's yeah. really, really good there. So I'll go and have a look at that. Um, I've been looking at abandoned cart emails. So this is Ooh. where you're in an e-commerce shop 
and you fill the cart up and then you go away without actually going through to the actual final purchase process. And if you've registered mm -hmm. and you're on email marketing, then you can set it up so that an abandoned cart email can be sent. Now, the fact of the matter is that there are lots of different ways of setting up an abandoned cart email. Uh, I'm sure you know some people out there who do abandoned carts probably look at it and go, well, surely it's just as simple as going, you've left this in your cart, do you want to buy it? But in actual fact, there are a lot of different ways of, of, of playing around with it. And uh, I was reading a blog post earlier today uh, when I was digging into this, uh, which was basically on the Shopify website. So if you go to the Shopify blog mm -hmm. website, it's one of the more recent ones called Abandoned Cart Emails. And they basically give 16 examples of really good, really effective aban abandoned cart emails. Okay. So if you're running an e-commerce shop, and I know some of you out there are using e-commerce, then using an abandoned cart email is definitely going to have a benefit. I know of a number of our customers who put abandoned cart emails in and have generated revenue directly by doing that. Now, whether you offer a 5%, 10% voucher for those people to encourage them over the line or not, or whether you just remind them and say, look, do you want this, as it were? Um, you know, there may be a voucher that's expiring or there's an, an offer that's time limited or whatever. There mm -hmm. is some real good techniques you can do to actually close the sale. Uh, so if you're not doing an abandoned cart email from your e-commerce point of view, then realistically it's something that you should look at. So I've, I had a look at it. I learned a few bits and pieces, and I'd certainly recommend that you all go out and have a look at that uh, from your point of view. Okay, so here we come to the end of another episode of Chimp Chats. We're at to, got, what, number 11 now, Vicky. We've got well into double wow. figures. I know. I couldn't, can't wow. believe it. See where it's so... So, uh, any last thoughts from today's conversation about marketing and privacy and GDPR and all that related stuff? Um, yeah, just don't be scared of it. It's not that tricky. As long as you're using common sense and you're getting consent for your emails, then you're probably on the right side of the law. I had a client once, she had a, GT, a GDPR thing and it was a mailing one that was turned on and I was like, well, why do you need this? You're not actually using this field in your emails. You've got consent for emails or not, but there's nothing in your emails that goes, if they have ticked the email box, send them an email. If they haven't, don't send them any emails. So they weren't using those fields. I said, well, you don't need to have it on. And she said, like, oh, I've got to have something on. I, 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 went, I went on a course on it. I paid money for that course. And I'm like, mm, I see. So then I had to work with her to implement something because she was adamant because she'd paid for a course that she had to do something, even if it wasn't the right thing to do. Uh, so, yes, don't, <laughs> don't be too scared to go this by yourself. I mean, read the laws in your country, and it's, it's usually common sense. And if you go on a course, you do, just use your common sense as well. Don't just blindly follow a course for um, for um, for the sake of it. Yeah, so, no, yeah. Great, complete. I mean, my... My, my, my bottom line for this is, I've said this before, treat people the way that you would expect to be treated yourself. Yeah. Uh, and when it comes to email, so sending an email to someone who you've not spoken to for four years, if you got an email from someone that you'd not spoken to for four years saying, buy my stuff, buy my stuff, you wouldn't buy their stuff because there's no relationship there. It's four years yeah. since you spoke to that person. But if that person sent you an email saying, look, it's been four years. How are you doing? I hope you're going well. Yeah. We're still going well. We're still involved in this type of stuff. Hopefully, you're still interested in this type of, you know, the products and services that we offer. 
and it would be great to kind of like, you know, for you to go and check out our website and see what we're doing. That's much better because it's taking into account the state of a relationship. Email marketing, no matter how you look at it, is a relationship <laughs> between you and the people who are receiving your emails. And you need to be respectful of that relationship to have a chance to succeed at email marketing. And I think that's what it comes down to. Everything we've talked about is about being respectful, being good at email marketing. If you do that, then you don't necessarily need to worry as much about the law and uh, the permissions within MailChimp and the T's and C's because just by being good, you're not going to fall foul of them. So I hope you found that useful. Uh, we've gone slightly longer on this one than we usually do. Yes. But, uh, but I think it's yes. worthwhile because there's, you know, it's something obviously we're both very passionate about, but we're actually just kind of like trying to endorse good email marketing. That's what this is about. Okay. So just remember, you can always catch up on previous episodes of Chimp Chats on Facebook, on YouTube, on the Chimp Hunters website. And obviously it's available as a podcast, so you can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, we're going to Go, take not necessarily a specific approach, but I'm going to focus a little bit broader here. We're going to look at how to be good at email marketing and the things you need to consider. So we're probably going to touch on some of the things that we discussed today, but also a number of other things that you should be looking to do if you want to be good at email marketing. So please make sure you tune in for that. But for now, thanks, Vicky, as ever, for your contributions and, and your passion uh, it's always nice when we can both get on our soapbox and then start talking about stuff that we really believe in. So that was uh, brilliant. So thanks for that. Hopefully we might get you back next week for a little bit more fun on the whole area of good at email marketing. Yes, hopefully. I can't Definitely. wait. Brilliant. So anyway, thanks for watching or listening wherever you are. As ever, if you've got questions or queries, please continue to put them into the MailChimp Answers Facebook group. Vicky's in there all the time chipping in. I'm trying to get in there as much as I can, um, but hopefully it'll point you in the right direction um, and obviously give you the answers you need because that's what this is about. It's about helping you get more from your email marketing and more from MailChimp. But for now, thanks very much. We'll look forward to catching up with you next week and I uh, hope you have a successful email marketing and uh, permission-based activity. Thanks for listening and if you found this podcast really helpful then here's what you can do next to broaden your understanding of MailChimp. You can join our free Facebook group, it's the biggest MailChimp support group in the world. Just search MailChimp Answers on Facebook. You can take our free MailChimp Medical to find out the health of your MailChimp account and what you can do to improve it. Just visit chimpanswers.com and follow the prompts. And of course you can get in touch with us. If you like one-to-one -one support, advice, tips, or whatever, just visit chimpanzas.com, which also has got one of the largest resources of MailChimp blogs and advice available out there to get the information that you need. Thanks again, and we'll see you very soon.